Okay, here we, here we go. That's, uh, that sounds loud. Is that loud? It sounds kind of loud. No, it's okay? Wow. Maybe my mom wasn't yelling at me all those years. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just me. All right, let's pray. Third Sunday in Advent. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry. <laughs> What's going on <Sorry>. up here? <laughs> More home at church. What? Okay, hold on. Oh, Lord, accept our prayers and our supplications and grant that we may heed the call of John the baptizer to prepare your way. And let us receive Jesus into our hearts that we may become your children through him alone. Amen. All right, good to see you. A lot of stuff going on here. Thanks for Christmas sharing. Carol said it was best ever. 116 for 116 families. That was good, and everything was gone and peaceful by the time we had uh, the liturgy last night. So thanks again to Carol and all of you who helped. That was wonderfully done. Thank you very much. It's nice. <clears throat> if you uh, put money in the basket, it'll go to the Siberians uh, toward an endowment for their seminary. The bishop will be here. We have an embarrassment of riches on the third week in January. Both the bishop will be here to preach, and John Kleinig will be here to teach Bible study, so that's going to be a fun little weekend. So, um, <laughs> Pastor Nelson wants to get the bishop a mitre, uh, so stay tuned. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what may or may not happen with that, but he's our bishop too, so we love him. Yes. Third week in January. Third week in January. I think it's the 19th or 18th or something like that, Some one of those days. Uh, that's such a long time from now. I'm just right now just trying to get to 1045. So uh, that'll be good. Let's see. This room is slowly disintegrating. You thought that I just put the mood lighting on so we could have the video of the fireplace on. I know you, that's what you were hoping for. But no, actually, the lights blew up this week. So if any of you are giving anybody a putting green for Christmas, this carpet is available. Or... <laughs> If you're opening a funeral home, we would sell you the sconces on the wall. So we'll just have to see. I mean, maybe something will happen this summer. We'll have to just see what happens. But I know, I'm, I'm right. I mean, I know it could fall down on top of us in any moment, but it's all going to be okay because it's all going to be okay. All right? Anything else we should pay attention to? No? All right. It's very good to have you here. Um, so, a couple of things to think about. So we started with some texts that everybody loves, or at least can identify with. The prodigal son is always a good place to start, and everything goes well then. And even Arthur last week with the, you know, we all like to cheat on that side and have somebody still love us, so that was good too. But just point number one here, if the Lord isn't going to establish his kingdom by force, but instead by love, and he even does these things that we would consider ungodly, like embracing his enemies and forgiving sins and humiliating himself by running after us and even dying for those who hate him. How are you ever going to get anything done? You see, how will the church ever survive? How will anything ever get done if you do it the Jesus way? And, you know, there's thousands of examples of where the church has tried to impose its will by force. And in some sense, being absorbed into the West when we were in charge of so much and had such great wealth, um, that sort of reinforced this. But, you know, I'm caught in between. Of course, you know, like the first service was brilliant. There's some weeks 
when you just come and you're all on the same page. That's how the first service was today. Did you notice how loud it was? It's like you're all awake at the same time. It was really, and it comes from the very first response. Amen. You kind of go, oh, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a Sunday like that. Fabulous, right? Because everybody is, and there was just something, and that was start to finish today. That was 60 minutes of everybody really, and everything working, and the music was great, and you were wonderful. And, and of course, you want to do things well and give a good witness, and yesterday and the day before were a great example of that. But how do such things get done? See, this is the question. So I give you um, point number two, patience. And this is uh, learned over a lifetime. You know, it's difficult to, with a parish, with parishioners, with your children, with your family, you know, your extended family, this is a difficult lesson to learn because we would like to, and most of you are, especially in this demographic, you're linear people, you're A to B people. We're going to get some things done and the year end is coming and it's bonus time and there are things that need to be checked off. <clears throat> and actually, I'm a great admirer of all those things, right? Because too often in the church, people do things halfway, right? On the other hand, it's important to do things as fully as you can, but in the way of Jesus. So I'm going to try to work you through that with two, um, with two stories that will maybe help you hold on. Certainly, as a pastor or working in the church, but also as a parent and also being part of a family. You know, kind of the rookie mistake of pastors is to think that their job is to fix everybody. Yeah, see, my job isn't to fix you. You would think it is, the way you're shaped in seminary, but it's my job, that's Jesus' job. I can't actually fix you. What I can do is touch you with Jesus' gifts, properly distinguished, um, with as much law as it takes for you to wince a bit, and then an overwhelming amount of gospel. But my job is not to fix you. My job is to serve you as Christ serves you. Now, you can make the same <coughs> assumption in many other parts of your life, with your spouse, with your children, with your family, with your students. Christ puts us in positions to love our neighbors as ourselves, that is, to serve other people, to not distinguish between their needs and your needs. As yourself means same, same. And sometimes that takes time. So, this interesting text from Mark 4, nothing is hidden except it will be made manifest. This is the word for epiphany, right? This will be revealed. So, nothing is hidden that won't be shown for everyone to see. Nothing is secret except for it to come to light. And you can at least comfort yourself in your own work. Someday, the Lord is going to sort it all out. Someday, everybody's going to know everything. And it'll all be fine. And especially in these vocations, working in the church, being a parent, being a spouse, being a friend, these things that take such great patience. Um, and and to trust the, just to trust the process it's a great reward if you can do it. So encouragement toward that. Just a couple of short stories today. Jesus' story is our mean to an end, offering a bit of insight into his otherworldly kingdom, but you get to have that right now. So what you saw this morning and what you see at Christmas is a bit of heaven on earth. That's going to be the great thing. While we're still wandering around, it's a kingdom found not in a fight, but on a cross, 
and given for us today in the places where the cross is hidden. So the cross is hidden in scripture and in absolution and in the font and on the altar. Our task, or it's better to say actually our blessing, because task makes it feel sometimes a bit, uh, you know, only, uh, makes us a bit apprehensive. It's better to say this is how Jesus chooses to bless us. He blesses us by telling us stories. We can absorb them and we get to act them out. And we do our work and then we go to bed at night and we get up and do it again. We do our work as bidden and we leave the outcomes to Jesus just as St. Paul did. This famous thing from St. Paul, at least it's famous to me. I planted and water, God gave the growth. Your job is to plant and water as an individual, as a family member, as a pastor, as a parishioner. Your job is to plant and water and then rely on God to give the growth. It seems a bit um, almost clinical when Paul says it, and it probably was a bit given what he was facing. But Jesus is the one who tells stories. So if you have a Bible, you can spin it open to Mark 4, and just, just three verses, right? It's just such a, you know, three verses to change your life. It's a very, very nice thing. So Mark 4, 26. And this is what we've been chasing. What is the kingdom of God like? What does it mean to be in the church? What is thy kingdom come? What does all of this mean? So, verse 26. Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or whether he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though it he does not know how. So he does something, but he doesn't know how it works. It's so interesting. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So there's the kingdom of God in just three verses. You have a guy, this is point number four, a guy who scatters seed. And he's faithfully doing what he's been given to do. Whoever owns that land has given him a task to do. He scatters the seed. And in some ways, we have to remember how scattering works. It's this very extravagant and confident display of broadcasting seed everywhere. Jesus tells other stories about that. But try not to, at first, let the other stories leach into this one about the rocky ground and about angels coming and all that. Just for now, just, just, this, just let this story be on its own. This is what you do. You take seed and you scatter it lavishly everywhere, right? And it's very important to remember that in the seed lies the power, that the seed is self-sufficient. Yes, it does say the ground produces, but of course before the seed was scattered, the ground didn't produce anything at all. So the whole, the the life, the power, the self-sufficiency is in the seed. It's the seed that's the thing, right? So... um, You can think about it as the kingdom being the seed sowing or Jesus being sown or Jesus sowing himself. But what's interesting about the story is how broadly and extravagantly the seed is sown. It's sown everywhere. Jesus goes everywhere. His kingdom goes everywhere. His gifts are given everywhere. This is extraordinarily important. One of the problems with the church, we say all the time that we want to grow and we say all the time that we welcome people in. And then we do the same old things that 
limit our reach racially, demographically, economically, right? That's not in this story. Jesus' kingdom is everything to everybody. Later, I gave you the text, but you remember how the Great Commission goes at the end of Matthew. Go to all nations and teach them to treasure up everything. So you go to everything and you teach, you you go to everybody and you teach them everything I left behind. Everything I've got is for everybody. And many times, um, we're content just to have, uh, you know, our reach only extend about this far without too much. We have to think differently and it's very easy to think differently when you read this text. The kingdom of God was scattered everywhere in every circumstance. The whole kingdom everywhere to everybody. Right? So what happens is the otherworldly stuff gets bestowed right now. And this is the church's task. You know, it's, it's always kind of overwhelming. I mean, one of the Christmas sharing the first night is always for me a very interesting time of, um, at the same time, uh, it's so much fun, but at another sense, you just you see the overwhelming need of people, right? It just it is it is endless. You know, we stop at 116 families only because we got 116 letters. That's not where the need stops, of course. So we have to think in a different way and do. But you see, there's a, there's a, there is a limit on this. You get up every day. He gets up and then he goes to bed, and then he gets up and he goes to bed. He gets up. There's this rhythm to life. You get up and you've been given what you've been given to do. You don't exactly understand what it is that you're doing. You know that whatever you're doing can't solve every problem or help everyone. And yet, your hope is that every problem is solved and everyone is helped. But you have limits as a human being, so you know you do what you've been given to do, and then you go to sleep, and the Lord takes care of the balance. That's where this is going. And this isn't anything new. This happened in the Old Testament. Yahweh was always at work in the world. The whole notion of salvation history, that God is here to save his people, to gather them back. You hear that even in Isaiah in the Old Testament reading for today. So the simplest way you might think about this, although you, know, you can bend and move this just a little bit, you know, how, 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 it, um, how it works, this um, simile, the kingdom of God is like this. You might just think of it as Jesus planting himself. I know that he uses you, and I know that he uses me, and I know that he uses his church, but this is Jesus' story, and it's really about Jesus planting himself in the world, liberally and extravagantly to everyone. So Jesus plants himself through his incarnation, and his goal is to reconcile everybody and everything to himself, to his heavenly Father, to repair and to re-intertwine heaven and earth ever more tightly toward the last day. So everything that happens here, from baptism to absolution to Holy Supper to Holy Word to the Second Coming, everything is about, this is why we can talk about things being recreated, because that's exactly what uh, the Lord is up to. And you should take both as point of pride and responsibility that God would use you for this. So it's a great responsibility that you have, but like so many things, um, you can enjoy it. It's, you know, again, parenting. Um, There are times when being a parent drives you mad, right? And then there are times when it is the greatest joy. This is what it is to, in the same way, to want to embrace the world and bring people into the church. 
People will drive you mad, and at the same time, really, what else is there? There isn't ever anything else. So I turned the page, and I've already said what I've got there, which is <clears throat> you have to understand the background to all of this is outreach, <coughs> missions, hus- evangelism, hospitality, welcome, blessing, and not just for us and ours. It's so important that this reach increasingly extends. So if that's all true, point six, why does it take so long? Because that's what's so frustrating, you know? Why can't things... I mean, I'm the one... Well, Bernard Lonergan, the great, a great theologian, once said, the church always arrives slightly late and out of breath. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, that's a gentle way of saying it. You know, the church always arrives slightly late and out of breath. You kind of want to say, come on. On the other hand... Um, Things happen in God's time, and in this world there'll always be some mystery, some things you don't quite see, you know, something that the Lord is working out that's beyond your ken. You can't see in your own life in real time. You can't see the church's life in real time. It ebbs and flows for divine reasons and also for human reasons, um, positively and negatively. But we live in this time when everything isn't fulfilled. Jesus isn't done. And so, you know, we just keep going. So point seven, what we know is really the recipe but not the outcome. And of course, you who are clever and have been here a long time realize I've just um, painted the same story a different color. Right? This is the rhythm of the Christian life. This is Christ in scripture and prayer and liturgy and Eucharist. This is tithing and alms. This is being thoroughly merciful toward other people. This is always being winsome and giving a witness. This is the Acts 2 church. This is what the church did, and this is why the church flourished, and you're part of it. So you have this recipe. Jesus tells this story a different way, which is the kingdom of God is like sowing seed in a field and then going to sleep and waiting to see what happens. Okay? Now, just, you know, toward the bottom, when I was more sassy, plus toward the end, I got a couple of typos, which I'm embarrassed about, but it's Christmas and things are busy. But God doesn't need, you know, my bright ideas are yours, my bright programs are yours, my great initiatives are yours to make his kingdom flourish. And to be honest with you, what God needs is a liturgy. That pretty much does it. That's what you need more than anything else. You You need a beautiful liturgy, and you will have done everything that the Lord has asked you to do, including the end, Idemissa asked, the Mass is finished, get out of here and do some good, right? So God doesn't need our bright ideas in order to make it work. You remember even from the small catechism, the kingdom of God comes indeed without our prayer. It's going to come whether you're in on it or not, but it would be better for you to be in on it. Not because you're going to burn forever in hellfire if you don't, but because it's fun to be part of Jesus' deal, right? It is the thing that is the most fulfilling thing in life. It's to be loved with divine love and to share in a divine task. So, Kapan, once the man in the parable has sown the seed, he does nothing more than mind his own and not the seed's business. He goes to bed and gets up in the morning 
And then he shops at the supermarket, unclogs the sink, whips up a gourmet supper, plays chamber music with his friends, watches the 11 o'clock news, and goes to bed again. And he does that and nothing but that, day after day after day after day, while all along the seed, that is the kingdom, sprouts and grows in a way that he himself knows nothing about. So you do the work that you've been given to do, and you relax. You enjoy life. You do the work that you've been given to do, only as much as you've been given to do. You don't have to stretch beyond that, but you certainly shouldn't do less. And then someday you'll wake up and everything will be fine. So, to put more, um, you know, a more practical point on it, perhaps, or literal point, we simply fall in line behind Jesus and his disciples. And yes, you should hear discipline, or if I'm in a, if I'm in a different mood, I would say to you, you should hear obedience. Or you should say you should hear on another day love, because love is obedience, is discipline. You know, Karl Lagerfeld, love and doing... Do, and, uh, love and obedience, is there any difference? No, there's not any difference. Love and discipline, is there any No, there's not any difference. You do what you love. You embrace what you love. Love and obedience and discipline are all the same. So, you should be hearing in this, um, we do what Jesus has been giving us to do, right? Planting and watering and embracing, and there it is, you know, the axe thing. And sinners, embracing sinners too. One of the interesting things about you um, here is how pleasant you are. This is an extraordinary pleasant place to walk into, right? Voices don't get raised. People are honest with each other. Kind of everybody knows what everybody else is doing. It's interesting. Um, it's newer people often who have trouble adjusting to this because they're not used to it from whatever church they came from. Um, I had said to somebody... Uh, the other day that we've only had one negative vote in the last six years of voters' meetings. You know, the vote has been whatever, everybody turned up to zero for six years in a row except for one vote. And somebody who's new said to me, why is that? Suspicious that such a thing could happen among people like you, right? (laughs) This could mean the bribes have been paid, the fix is in, the pastor's a dictator, you know, the pastor's afraid of you. You know, that could be a range of reasons. But, you know, it could just be that maybe you all realize that the heavy lifting is done here and not in the voters' meeting, and you vote every Sunday when the offering is passed and when you come to Bible study and come to church. And to be honest with you, as in most churches, getting together for voters' meeting once a year and voting, unless you can find a way to enforce that, doesn't really mean too much. It means you showed up at a voters' meeting. If nobody votes against it, then you have a pretty clear sign. But... It's always about whether you're actually going to do what you vote or do what you say. And our greatest problems have been caused in this congregation when people have voted and not done what they voted for. And our best victories have been when people did exactly what they voted for and more. So you got John's little capital campaign letter where, you know, he's bored because all the money has come in so early. <laughs> if you send more money, you'll unbore him. That would be the loving thing to do. So you and I have it you know, quite good, but it didn't happen accidentally. It happened because of the discipline of people going to the Eucharist, of people reading their Bibles and saying their prayers. Number eight, time passes. I remember when I was a boy, I read a story, I think in Life magazine, about these people who played bridge. 
next to this bamboo that grew really fast. So they would put a ruler next to the bamboo and they would play bridge until the bamboo grew an inch. Can that even be true? I'll have to Google that. But my whole life I believed it, so it must be true, right? I mean, this whole notion of that, that um, you know, you can say it one way or another, but the time is going to pass. Don't worry, I'm setting you up for, some, for a fall. I just want you to know. It's going to come to you in just a moment. Because I know some of you, your tummies are rumbling right now. Because this is no way to run a church or a Christmas with the family. I know, but just hold on. I'm going to get to your pain point momentarily. For now, duty is yours. Everything else belongs to God. Or as Lewis said, um, I wasn't born to be free. I was born to adore and obey. Right? And eventually, if you do it the Lord's way, things work. Now, the problem, of course, in the church is, or in your own family is, you've got to wait for your kids to get to be 30 before they you know, talk to you like an adult. Or you know, maybe your church has to get to be 30 before things sort of work out, and you say, yeah, that was the right way. Because, of course, people get judged by results, and we look at the end game and not the process. And so um, you know, sometimes we can get a little... And, and we can be fooled easily by, thing, by shiny objects and um, people talking you into things. But nine, patience eventually means that things come to maturity. And so you have it in this text. In time, this perfect kingdom pops up all by itself. It does say that the dirt yields it, but of course the dirt is the medium, right? You're the medium. The Lord, Jesus sows himself into you when he baptizes you. He sows himself into you at the Eucharist. And... Um, he, of course, grows up in you um, if you'll have him. And we can, of course, say, you know, Jesus has made a Christian out of you or Jesus had good use of you. But it's a little like Chrysostom when he says, you, when you get the Eucharist, it's not the, the, it's not the pastor who holds out the body of Christ. It's Christ himself who holds out the host and gives it to you. And that's true for all of you in your own vocations as well. Christ has put you into a particular place. He's given you gifts. He's asked you to live a particular way. He's strengthening you for the task, you know, but it's Galatians 2.20. Not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, of course, you can say that both ways, but you should always interpret this little, this little story, this little simile as what the Lord has done to you. It's the sermon today. Jesus asks you to change, and then he changes you, Right? It's Jesus who does the work. That's the only thing true about children's sermon. The answer really is Jesus. Otherwise, everything is just a wrench or an orange or a magazine. Okay, I'm just telling you. So that's why we don't have to have them, because you know the answer's already. The answer is Jesus. Okay? So in time, the perfect kingdom pops up all by itself. The ground has nothing. It's terribly important to understand that. And does nothing of its own, right? The, the ground is the medium, but it doesn't, it doesn't add to. It's, it's only the place of. The ground is something to give once it's been given to, once it has a gift from outside beyond its reach. And so that's true for you too. Um, it doesn't take credit for the sowing. It doesn't take credit for the grain. It doesn't take gift for the growth. The seed makes good use of the dirt around it, Right? So meanwhile, the kingdom and the Lord, uh, you should just know, won't settle for anything less than a full-blast revelation, a full-blast epiphany. 
One way or another, the kingdom of God is going to come. The question is whether it's going to come on these two square blocks, right? The kingdom of God is going to be just fine without this congregation or without our denomination if it doesn't pay attention to the things that are most important. The kingdom is going to come. So it isn't like this enormous pressure on you to make the kingdom come. Jesus is going to make the kingdom come. The question is whether we get to play along and in the playing of the long have the great joy of what it means to love other people, to do good to those who hurt us, to pray for our enemies, right? To share the gifts of God with others. This isn't about somehow this depends on you or on me. The kingdom of God is going to come indeed without our prayer, the catechism. But we pray in this petition that it would come among us. Also, we want to play along. And we play along, and this is the most important thing. The, you know, the only thing I'm trying to say is to say to you, when you play along, please play along on Jesus' terms, not on your terms. So many people, pastors too, have this image of what the church should be or what it is or what it means. Just listen to what the church is. This is what the church is. The church is like a man who scatters seed and then patiently waits for it to grow, and it grows and he knows not how, and that's okay because he did what he was given to do. That's the important part. And even more than, point 10, the harvest comes at just the right time. And you who are clever, you know, you know in the scriptures there's a couple of words for time. Chronos, which is like the tick-tock of the clock. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Just the observable data. But then this notion of kairos, which is at just the right time, in divine time, in the time of salvation, in the time of revelation. So the harvest happens at just the right time. The grain grows, it's full, it's gathered in. And then the story is over. So I hear I, I am guessing at your pain point, which is, and then the story is over. Which doubtless you will say to me, but what about the... You know what I want to say to you? Switch to decaf. It's all going to be fine because this is the story, right? This is the story. So the Christian life is for you to do what you've been given to do. And there's a dozen ways to describe that, but it basically means, you know, go to church, say your prayers, receive the body and blood, get your kids baptized, be really generous, be merciful toward other people, have a big reach, but don't try to overreach as if it depends on you. And remember that everything comes into orbit around Christ, So you notice here, I must have been sassy at point number 10. I think this might have been a break point. Notice this is a very positive-spirited parable. Nothing is said about crop failure or the devil or sorting folks out, about the good and the evil, about fire, about brimstone, topics that we love, by the way, about the lake of fire. So I was just thinking you could take the day off and think of just you could just enjoy Jesus and how this works. But of course, that only gets us to 1033, and there's more to the story, of course, right? Because I know, you know, there have to be some black hats in here somewhere, doesn't there? All right. Will it work? Well, it's going to work out for Christ. The question is whether it's going to work out for us. Will it work if you just plant and water faithfully? Um, You know, first we should always think about ourselves, which is you can certainly get in the way of this. I mean, I'm always, I can't, well, I can't. I was just talking with some pastors about 
schools that can't pay their teachers and churches that can't pay their pastors, but schools that don't want to change and churches that don't want to merge and all that. And, you know, my bottom line after all these years is kind of crisp, which is you don't really want to have a church and you don't really want to have a school. You know, I'm sure you'd like to have a new Lexus. But if you go to the dealership and just say, I want the new Lexus, at some point they're going to have a conversation about putting your checkbook on the table. <laughs> and everybody thinks that's normal, right? But in the, we're, just so, we're just so funny. The Lord has given us stuff to do. If you want to play along, do it and do all of it. Don't act like you can do it halfway. I have some great memes I'd like to show you, but they all involve swear words. So you know what? I can't do that. You're just going to have to trust me on this. Don't do two things halfway. Do you know this meme? Do one thing. Oh, don't you, Douglas. Okay, good. That's great. Later, I'm going to send it to you, okay? You don't, do, you don't do two things halfway. You do one thing whole way, okay? And later, I'll translate you for Lent. But now you're just going to have to go with it like this, right? So basically, you can screw it up if you want, and I can screw it up. But, you know, you can, you know, you can screw it up if you want. But the Lord did what he did. Now, seriously, what about the weeds, right? Number 12. Because you know, we're big on scorecards. Packers, what if they didn't keep score today in the Packers-Bears game? Well, I mean, for the Bears fans, it'd be fabulous, right? <laughs> hey, I'm just observing the data. This is no sort of, you know... What if they didn't, none of you would watch. Your fantasy teams would go up in flames, all your bets in Vegas, you know. You, it's just, you know, what if they didn't keep score? If they didn't keep, that just kind of runs the wrong way with us. Like, we kind of like to keep score, right? Okay, for you scorekeepers, let's get a second opinion. Get your Bible out. We can look at this too. Matthew 13. Same sort of story, but with more for you who have a sadistic streak in you. Hold on. All right, Matthew 13. Almost the same story, but with a little bounce. Uh, Let's see here. Jesus told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So immediately have this parallel, right? Somebody's sowing good seed. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went out. Now right here, this is like, this is like, sucking you into a mistake that you shouldn't make, but it just feels so right because this is our experience on the lookout for things. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, hey, I thought you were a good Messiah. Oh, no, wait, they said, didn't you sow good seed into your field? Where did the weeds come from? This is so great. So, matter of fact, an enemy did this. You should take that seriously. An enemy did this. Nice. The servants asked him, well, we're not going to put up with that, are we? So, let's mark our enemies and you want us to go and pull them up? No. And here's the pastoral care. No, he answered, because while you're Pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. This is everything from being a pastor to being a parent to being a friend to being alive. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, 
First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Okay, so you've got about ten verses and two stories about what the kingdom of God is like. You coach the team you've got, not the team you want. You pastor the congregation you've got, not the congregation you hope for, right? And for all of us linear overachievers, right, I want to say two things. One is just realize how good you've got it right now, living in patience. And two is try not to imagine that it's going to get exponentially better if you suddenly veer onto a weed-pulling course. Okay? So let's just, I'm just, this is just full disclosure. It's the Christmas season. We should all tell the truth. You're prepping for your home interventions. We are too. I know they're coming, for some of you at least. Some of you, they're coming, and you don't know they're coming. But it'll all work out. Don't worry. So, an enemy sows weeds among the crops. Not pulling weeds is no way to run a farm, is it? Neglect the weeds and the good plants will get choked, and then, uh, sorry, two typos in the same bit. And since weeds multiply, next year will be even worse. So that just makes sense, right? This is what you would do. But before you start pulling weeds, or be too harsh with people who couldn't volunteer for Christmas sharing, or start sorting your kids out while they're home from college over the holidays or get mad at your next-door neighbor because their lights are too bright, they blink and keep you up all night, or, 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 before you, before you make any sudden moves and break anything, before you start pulling weeds, just think this through. A couple of observations. The farmer isn't negligent. The farmer did what the farmer was supposed to do, just like in the other story. The story starts with a farmer and seed and activity, Boom, boom, boom. Everybody's doing just what they're meant to do. You can be a great parent and your kids can go off the rails. You can be a great parent and your church, or a great pastor and your church can go off the rails. You can be a horrible pastor and your church can stay sane. You can be a horrible parent and have great kids. You can fill in the rest of this story, right? But that's all about the outcomes. Your life is meant to do what you've been given to do, which is to get up in the morning, sow seed, and go to bed at night. In between, you might want to pop a nice bottle of wine, cook something for dinner, listen to this playlist. Have you seen this playlist of the scientists that put together 10 songs that lower your blood pressure by 60% or something like that? We're going to start piping them in before church. The only problem is people tend to fall asleep when they listen to it, but they said don't do it while you're driving. because you... That's why it's always Lizzo for us while we're driving, but... Just checking. <laughs> checking. Check my nails. Okay, so, uh, Douglas, I can't believe you get, like, all on both ends of this. I, my respect for you is growing. So, um, here's Jesus doing what he does, going through the rhythm of life. And by the way, sleeping at night and staying up all night worrying about your kids isn't part of the rhythm of life. Part of the rhythm of life is... Being a parent and then going to sleep. Part of being a pastor is not staying up all night worrying about your congregation. It's doing your work and going to bed at night. That's the normal rhythm. And every once in a while, the enemy will show up and do what he does to you, right? But you can't protect yourself from everything in an evil world. 
The most amazing thing about both stories may be how the seed just keeps growing. Right? It just keeps going. It all just keeps going. It's going to be fine. So the challenge isn't to the seed, but it's to you and to me. But Jesus isn't nervous. Jesus has things well in hand, including your and your marriage and your family and your kids. Jesus has things well in hand. And Jesus actually knows just exactly he's how he's going to fix things when they go bad, and he knows how to direct things when they go good. Jesus is not nervous at all. No, not even at the holidays. He takes the long view, patience. And even while that's confusing to us, as in, what is happening around here? Not confusing to him at all, right? One of the interesting things about this parable is that he doesn't try to explain why evil comes to us. There's no explanation of if God is truly good, how can there be evil in the world, why would God let evil happen, does God make evil, none of that. This is just a story about staying put, staying patient, abiding in the Lord, going to the Eucharist. This is just a story about doing your job. Be a parent, be a pastor, be a friend. This is just a story about staying inside your vocation. This is a story about love. This is a story about obedience. This is a story about doing what you've been given to do and waking up every morning and doing it over and over and over again. And just about the time you die, you might just get a little glimpse that it actually worked out. But until then, keep going. I've got to go a little bit more quickly because there's a baptism and I don't want to disappoint. Point 18. This is a subtle thing. Because the weed sown by the enemy has a name, Zazania, which looks just like wheat. Isn't this interesting? So heresy looks just like truth. And mistakes look just like the real thing. This is a particular kind, it's a, it's a counterfeit. It looks like wheat, but it has no nutritional value. Isn't this interesting, how the world works? So the enemy comes, and like so often, you know, we can spot horrible evils. But we're not as good with the incremental E, the close by. And you remember, heresy is always just off true north a little bit. This is why it draws us in so easily. So it takes a trained eye, a tra- an eye that's been to the Eucharist, an eye that's adored the Holy Supper, an eye that goes through the liturgy every week. There's a reason why the Lord says to you, come to church once a week. Because, you know, once a week's like the bare minimum for you to get any better at doing the things that you're supposed to do. And the worst thing that could happen here is if you all and I decide that we're going to help the Lord out with our own devices, our own ways, our own ideas, our own programs. Let's pull the weeds. Let's get rid of the sinners. Let's excommunicate that guy. Let's not go after them. We wouldn't want anybody like that. Right? The worst thing that can happen is if we deviate from this very simple process of giving everything to everybody. That's the church's job. That's your job. This doesn't mean that um, you just let evil go, by the by. And we can have this conversation another time. It's not as much fun, and it's fairly easily dispatched. It just means at the bottom, you know, resisting evil, you, may, you have to resist evil, otherwise you'll have chaos. But it's not, 
the way of salvation, it's not the way of the kingdom. It's another kingdom, right? So Jesus asks us to focus on grace and to just keep going. If you don't believe that, then big finish here. The word that Jesus uses for let it alone, let it go for now, be patient, we'll fix it later, is the word afata, which is two-part bonus prize. The word that's in the Lord's Supper when it says, forgive us our trespasses, and also the word that Jesus says when they're nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So if you think that Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, you should know that Jesus exerted this very same patience at two very critical times. One, when he prayed to his Father and gave that prayer to us, and two, when people were nailed into the cross. So anything short of being nailed to the cross has this firm affirmation that Jesus' way, his rhythm, and his patience will just work out. Number 20, aren't folks going to take advantage of you if you just keep forgiving? Yes, indeed, they are going to take advantage of you. You never heard the 70 times 7 story? Yes. All those people at your, at, your, at your dining room table for Christmas Eve, every last one of them wants to take advantage of you. I would put a safety pin on the top of your stocking if I were you. I've seen your family, and, you know, people steal stuff out of those stockings when people are in the other room. So there you go. Finally, for you who like horror films, the last page. Yes, indeed, the weeds do get burned up. But if you stop me between now and that baptism at 11, you say, shouldn't you have just spent a little more time on burning up those weeds? I'm going to do this <laughs> because it's only two-thirds of one verse in ten verses where it talks about people burning up. You would think that that's the only thing that we have to talk about. Hey, we're really good at the burning up part. So we're going to kind of relax on that just a little bit because, as you know, you know this thing where the diocese, one of these dioceses, I think, in Springfield, they sent, a, you know, they did a survey of, of people in the community. What do you think of the Catholic Church? The number one thing that came up was judgment. Kind of interesting since Jesus was known for loving others the way we love ourselves. So, yes, you should know that part of the patience is that Jesus will sort it all out, but not you. And not now. Part of the mystery is that you're meant to, right now, do the things that you're given to do every day in love, and then let the chips fall where they fall, because they're not your chips. Hard thing to remember as a pastor. It's a hard thing to remember as a parent. It's a hard thing to remember as part of a congregation. It's a hard thing to remember. But... um, Last thing, you should remember the only story in Scripture is death and resurrection. And this is just another story about death and resurrection. This is a story about things coming to life. This is a story about forgiveness. This is a story about the church. If we as the church could carry on with what the Lord has given us to do, primarily in mercy, primarily in kindness, primarily in joyful obedience, primarily in spiritual discipline, I just got to tell you, the law part's going to take care of itself. It's everywhere around us. It's common to us. It's presumed by people outside of us. We're really good at it, and we've been doing it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The other part, sometimes not so much. But um, with great joy, 
One of the great things about St. John is, in some ways, you've been this 20-year experiment about what would happen if you just absorbed the rhythm of the Christian life. Lots of good things have happened. So it's great being a pastor here. A great liturgy this morning. It's going to be a great Christmas. But as you go out to your friends and family, and then even to people you don't know, carry all of that out with you because it's for them too. Okay? All right. Sorry, um, that took longer, but I wanted to get through the whole thing. I don't think we're up next week, right? We don't have Bible study next week, do we? No, we're off next week because it's the 22nd. So I, didn't wanna, I wanna, didn't want to have loose ends for um, over Christmas time. All right, see you back here uh, with John Kleinig will be the next time we're together, which is, frankly, something to look forward to. So that'll be um, all is well in the middle of, of January. Love you. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, love you. See you soon. See you at Christmas.